And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 262 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, March 11th, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's definitely got a better relationship with his dad than Prince Harry, Mr. Joe Polizzi. <laughs> so, uh, I only saw clips. Did you watch the... I, Royal fiasco. Well, uh, so my wife, uh, so, I mean, just enough said there. Um, yes, we watched all two hours. Okay, give me the synopsis. Give me give me your unfiltered thoughts. Uh, they seem like a lovely couple. That's good. Uh, there's some, I mean, you know, I have to say there's a little bit of a, Really, you didn't expect that, you know. But but there is some stuff in there, you know. Uh, ostensibly, the 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 too long didn't watch version uh, is uh, she came into this relationship and didn't really know much about the whole institution of the royal family and you know the the giant corporation that it is, um, and the you know, media company, um, you know, quite frankly, that it is, because um, that's really all it is, is just a media company that produces, you know, pomp and circumstance events and, and appearances and, um, you know, it's influencer marketing writ large, you know yeah. what I mean? And and so she didn't, she didn't, you know, at least, you know, she said out loud, I didn't research it or I didn't really know what I was getting into and expected a lot more, support than she got because the tabloids which are notorious in the uk for going after the royals in varying degree in turn and especially those who come from outside as she was um and basically went after her a lot harder than they went after anybody else and you know said some really awful things um and then ultimately you know, as they were going to have a baby, apparently the big, the big thing of course, is that somebody in the Royal family, I have my money on Prince Charles, um, said to Harry and, you know, through Harry to Megan, that they were concerned about the skin color of the, the baby that would be born. No way. And yeah. And yeah, right. Well, you just had the exact same reaction that Oprah did. So (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what she said. So you and Oprah, um, and and so they decided to leave. They basically said, you know what, we're done with this. We're we're just you know. So they sort of rage quit the whole royal family, um, and went off to Canada. And basically, the the royal family said, okay, if you're going to do that, then you're going to get cut off financially, and you're going to get cut off um, from security and all that stuff. And they sort of rage quit that too. And basically said, fine. Um, and so now basically coming out and, and saying, you know, telling their side of the story. So it wasn't one of these well thought out things like we're going to leave the royal family. It was sort of a back and forth. It was. Fight, yeah. I mean, I mean, it took time. So you can argue about the well thought out part. But but the but it, 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 it took a good amount of uh, of of effort and time. And, you know, these things. You know, and there's lots of back and forth, of course. And, you know, and some of the charges were that they took, you know, they took advantage of that and blindsided the royal family, especially Queen Elizabeth. And uh, he, Harry, said, no, we didn't do that. We actually absolutely let her know. And by proxy, let the institution know that we were that we were thinking about this and doing this and help and give us some support. Right. And. I think that's where the relationship with his father has really broken down because, you know, I mean, you know, say what you want about Prince Charles, but he's all in, right, on the whole royal thing, right? He's, you know, he's he went in all all in a long time ago, and and if he's not all in by now, there's problems. I mean, yes, he's yeah, that's all exactly in. right. He's as in that's as exactly you can right. possibly be. That's exactly right, and so, you know, he. 
what Harry said that I think is the most meaningful thing that isn't actually getting as much coverage. I mean, certainly the, the, the racist stuff is getting the most coverage and probably rightfully so. But one of the things that he said that I thought was really insightful was, you know, Harry said, he said, look, I could see what happened to my mom happening in slow motion. He said, you know, everything that was going on with us is exactly what was going on with my mom and what my, what, you know, what ended up, you know, look how that ended. Right. And he said, it would be ridiculous if I didn't take some sort of action. And that to me is, is, is really the most powerful thing. Well, that makes sense if that's how he was seeing it, whether or not he was being dramatic or not. I mean, it, mm-hmm. obviously that that's right. made an impact. How could it not? Even though right. he was so young at the time when everything yeah. happened, but and of course you could, I mean, you could literally watch The Crown and get half of it too. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, so here's my exactly. here's my question you know, for you. But I mean, we made a joke about it, but but you know, to me, it, it actually is a very interesting uh, case study for you know how you can become trapped by the media brand, the content brand that the institution creates. You know, we've seen this in much smaller scales where companies have created a content brand that completely swallows up the other, you know, part of the brand, right? The part of the, you know, the, the and arguably the most Im- important part. And it's, it's, a, it's an interesting cautionary tale about, you know, basically reaping what you sow or, you know, whatever, you know, sort of metaphor you like there, but it's, but it's a really interesting to me, uh, sort of look at to say, you know, is this really what you want? Right. Is this really, you know, they all feel trapped, right? I mean, one of the things that Harry said was, I, you know, I couldn't see it because I was in it. And once I could start to have some perspective of what it looked like from the outside, which is, of course, what Megan brought to the table, he said, I could see all of the things that other people now see and, of course, you know, make observations about. He said, so, and then Oprah said, well, do you think you would have left the royal family if it hadn't been for this? And he said, no, I'm, I was trapped like anybody else, and I'm in that vacuum. I'm in that sort of thought bubble. And... He said, you know, just like my father is, just like my brother is, just like, you know, many people in the royal family are. And it's a fascinating thing to think about where you're that caught up in this brand and what it stands for that you lose the purpose of what it is you actually are supposed to be doing. And I just think it's interesting. I was talking with the the boys. We were having a family conversation about it and, and trying to talk to them about how big of a deal it was that Harry and Meghan sort of left the royal family. And I yeah. and we were trying to, I was trying to come up with an example like it. So we were I mean we were just brainstorming. It's not like Tom Brady moving from the Patriots to the Bucks. It's not it's a, <laughs> no, the, the, no. the closest thing that I could think of. And I, I still haven't become close, but it would be like one of the Murdoch kids leaving Rupert Murdoch's you know, media empire and going and starting like a choose.org or something totally on the other side. And I, I still can't get it. I cannot find, no, I can't, no, yeah, I can't, it's, 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 you can't find anything similar for as big of a deal as what they ended up leaving. I couldn't come up with one and I kept I just falling over my feet trying to explain it to my boys and they're like, I don't get it. Like, she's like, hey, if they want to leave, leave. And I'm like, you don't understand how big of a deal this is. Yeah, it's you know thousands of years. It's maybe right? maybe I mean, maybe Tom Cruise leaving Scientology. Uh, I, maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, there's I mean the 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 cult ish aspect of it is there for sure, but but I think it's it's more as if the you know like if the Pope all of a sudden and not the Pope because it's not a great example either because he's sort of the Queen Elizabeth of this, but if the Pope left the church. Right, left the Catholic Church, and decided to start a new religion. That would right? that or, would probably be, or, yeah. or you know or or something. So, okay, like, that's or a good. It's probably you know who it is. It's Martin Luther. It's Martin Luther who left yeah. the Catholic Church well, and started the Lutheran religion. That's right. Sort of. Now they're not they're not hanging up signs on doors or anything, but <laughs> yet, yet. Okay, so we, we 
I, I want to ask it. So here's a media question: Is because Oprah hit a triple or almost a home run with the 17.9 million in ratings? Amazing. Is television still have some relevance, or is this all because just this topic? Well, I think what it what it is showing is sort of the swing of the pendulum. You know, television, especially that which is broadly called broadcast television, which yes. is this would this would qualify for. Um, you know, major network, CBS. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed on CBS, but they've been they've been hyping up their little Paramount Plus thing a little bit. Um, you know, I think what broadcast television has become uh, in many ways is event television. Um, so right. it's live events, sporting, sporting events. events, award shows, live, you know, never to be seen anywhere else interviews. Basically, you if you, you, you miss it, you miss it, yes. right? It's the clubhouse of television, right? Um, and and so it, 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 I think what it shows is, is that there is still relevance there for event-based television um, that is um, basically on a FOMO kind of, marketed on a FOMO kind of basis. Yeah, I. It's it's interesting how much power actually Oprah <laughs> still has, though, to put together the deals that she had. I think it was that what the ads were going for what three and a quarter, three hundred twenty five thousand as well for a thirty second yeah. spot, almost Super Bowl esque. Yeah, well, it just shows you the power of the Royals. If family. Well, the power of the royal family, but I think the other thing, too, from a media standpoint, there is still a place for long-form television journalism. Right? Yes. Yes. One might argue the journalistic quality of Well, you can argue the journalistic quality of anything on television. You know, I mean, this is a human... I mean, this is a, a human story. This is a story of heartbreak. It's a story of, you know, I mean... We are not uncovering, you know, let's be clear. We're not uncovering political corrupt, you know, um, you know, graft or, or, well, it's, or it's no Geraldo like Rivera. Uh, unco- no, well, yeah. Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> I think this is the body. The, the body's Rivera. here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> you know, I, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, I think that her, you know, the power of, 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 you know, two big content brands coming together in an interesting way, I think is, uh, you know, because you, you can argue that it, it needed to be Oprah, right? It couldn't be anybody else. It had to be Oprah to get this kind of reach and it had to be the Royal family to, to get this kind of reach. And, and the two of them together is what makes the magic. It's, it's not one or the yeah, other. That's true. That's true. So, well, not the good thing is I don't have to watch it now because I now have all the information I need from you. That is correct. You need you need not I'm watch done. any yes. and I won't. minute of it. And yes. I won't watch anything is, more than, that than the correct. clips that I did. So good. And 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 here's where the audience goes, wow. They usually spend thirteen minutes talking about football and now they've talked about the royal family. I mean, it is like the opposite show or something. I really want to know like do do so the regular listeners we have, do they actually listen through this whole thing or they just keep hitting plus thirty seconds? Are they done yet? Are they done yet? I want to go to news. No, I think, yeah. Or do they I, just I put up hard, with us and right? say, is this the show? Is the show just I a think bunch it's, of nonsense? I think it's the latter. And we really I think it's the latter. Yeah, we aren't adding any value anymore. Yeah, this is the, you know, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the eye roll section of the show. This is where you continually roll your eyes until we actually get to the news. We have nothing to add. We've, we've hit, you know, we're, we're what, we're what my boys call boomers now. <laughs> we're, <laughs> We're we're it, you don't. By the way, you you don't have to be a boomer to be a boomer anymore. That, I, I've, I've heard this. I've been yes. called a boomer more times in the last couple of weeks than I've had. I keep saying I'm Gen X. I'm the best generation, and they said that's a boomer comment. I'm like, come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. anyways, I. Let's yeah. let's go to the uh, let's go to the news of or whatever news we let's have. do get on the news because I'll get off on yeah. a rant on that. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to cover the cover the news. We have one quick one because it's fun um, and it is news based because it was just announced uh, this last week, um, which is has to do with Disney Plus. Um, they have now passed 
the 100 million paid subscribers. 100 million uh, subscribers. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's that's that's, that's ridiculous. Success right there. Ridiculous. And of course, it's Wandavision. Um, and the article that we'll link to, of course, comes from the Hollywood Reporter, and it's Disney Plus has passed 100 million paid subscribers after 16 months, said Disney CEO Bob Chapek. Uh, announcing this during the company's annual shareholder meeting. The enormous success of Disney+, Plus, which has now surpassed 100 million subscribers, has inspired us to be even more ambitious and to significantly increase our investment in the development of high-quality content. Something that's buried in the lead, and there's a couple of other articles out there that talk about it, is how also Disney+, Plus is one of the lowest percentages of free uh, subscribers. Yep. In other words... Like right now, you get HBO Max if you buy a bucket of potatoes at the grocery store, um, and you get an Apple Plus if you buy, you know, your new iPhone. And so it's like twenty three percent and twenty eight percent, and accordingly that are in the free subscriber uh, phase of their subscription. Whereas at Disney Plus is like sixteen percent or something. It's they it's, are you're it's right, pretty good. Their yield is down. Uh, from when they started. Yes, but that is correct. They are giving it away. They're giving it away, but they, they are doing a better job than, than Apple and HBO. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. Yeah. And of course, it brings up our bet. Yes. Course, what, on, what, are is, the, what are the updated numbers? And we probably should restate the bet because this is very important. This is news. Yes, the bet now is, which has moved on, thankfully, from the whole nonsense of Disney and and yeah, Apple. we know who who really won that. So we're not going to go back in. Yes, we, of course we're not going to go who back really into that. Won it. The absence of any event <laughs> tells you who won it. Um, basically, uh, we our new bet is the race, um, the horse race, really uh, between Apple TV Plus and HBO Max. And um, I have the horse of Apple TV Plus, and Joe, of course, has the HBO Max. Um, you're all like screaming at the radio now, or the or your you know whatever's making sound, uh, your headphones, and saying, "Oh, of course it's HBO Max." But you know, I'm, I'm well for I, I, it's an underdog. Okay, I know. well, what are the what are the current numbers as of? So the, the week current of well, so here's the thing: Apple TV, Apple does not release the numbers. Um, of course they don't. And there's probably a reason that they don't release the numbers, but the last estimates come from uh, mid-2020, um, so that they're at $35 million So that's almost a year ago. So we don't know. We don't know, right? Well, what's an HBO Max Theoretically, is what? they haven't gone down, though. Um, the HBO Max numbers do release their numbers, and the January 2021 number is 40 million. So, so Apple probably is leading at this point. We have to imagine. I don't think so, dude. I think I think I think they're I think they're growing much more slowly. Now, again, you get an Apple TV Plus subscribership account if you buy a pair of earbuds yeah, and, from Wall, right? and so, if you. Uh, we get it because we're AT&T subscribers, so we get it for free. Yes, exactly. So, you know, and HBO Max, similar kind of thing. I'm, right? I'm sorry. You know, I'm, you, I'm, no, we get HBO Max because we're AT&T. Why do I get... Uh, why? Yeah, because Warner. Yeah, AT&T owns, owns HBO And Max. how did I... I have, I have Apple TV Plus for free because of something, too. You're right. right. They're you all giving it away bought for something free. from Apple. I mean, that's the that's the See, that's the problem. Way. We bet over they're giving they're both giving it away right now. They're just trying to go after market exactly. share. They don't care about money at this point. That's right. But, that's right. But it'll it'll be interesting. I mean, cuz that has that 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 comes home to roost at some point. And I have I'm I'm losing confidence in my in my bet, but so a couple, yeah, even though a couple I'm things I have very close behind, I'm losing confidence. A couple points on this whole subscription thing. First of all, and it talks about this in the article, it took six years for Netflix to hit 100 million subscribers, and yeah, it took them 18 months, 18, right? 16, yeah. 18 months. Disney has done that. It's on that is unbelievable to to reimagine their entire company that Disney Plus is now. The core of the entire company is their subscription content platform is really saying something. I mean, it's hard to even yeah. fathom. If you, so now let's go to... So we know Netflix is one. They have 200 million subscribers. You have Disney, half of that at 100. But catching up, 
you know, growing at a faster rate. This is really going to be. That's right. Is it? But it's not a two horse race necessarily because you've got Paramount Plus and you've got CBS and you got all kinds of stuff. But you do have serious players in HBO who is investing way more in content because it's more of its more traditional content with than Apple is. But Apple has some really strong shows. My favorite show of all time right now is Ted Lasso and that's on Apple TV plus. So yeah. they do have, which all won all kinds of awards and Jason Sudeikis got best actor at golden globes and all that stuff. But I think because of, it's going to be interesting with HBO and see if they still do the 30 day. You can watch it on HBO max and see it in the theater type of thing. If, if, if that oh, if we're not going oh, to revert. You can expect way more of that. Yeah, you can absolutely expect more of that. But it's interesting. I mean, if you look at what Disney Plus did, Disney Plus launched whatever their new... Uh, what's their new one that they just launched? It's um, Raya and the Last Dragon, which I didn't know anything about, but you can purchase that. That's a that's an additional fee. So it's they've got all kinds of models in here that are working, but I, 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 still, will, I still have very much confidence in HBO that they're going to make this a three-horse race. I think so, too. I mean, one of the other things that I think you can count on is um, the, you know, this has not been reported on a lot, but I think one of the things that you can start to count on companies like, I mean, because Paramount Plus, I, we made a little joke about it earlier in the show, but it's it's it'll come on strong, too. I mean, they've got a hell of a library, Um to reboot the whole idea of what was CBS Plus, but now they're going to bring in everything from NPV to, you know, classic VH1 to all the Paramount film library. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge library. It absolutely rivals Warner. Um, but I think, what to your point about the sort of uh, theatrical release, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more. I think this Zack Snyder cut of Justice League is... A, a business model getting tested, which is you release a movie like Wonder Woman or Justice League or whatever, and then you have somebody else recut it into a three and a half hour extravaganza and you put it on the you put it on the service. And and I think that's an, a really interesting new model that we're going to start to see more of. I am. I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a content creator of individual or you know, mega conglomerate, as if you will. It's amazing the different models, and you know we can talk. We're, I know we're going to talk about some other you know content creator stuff here, but it's it's just fascinating what's going to what's continuing to happen here, uh, and the who would have thought it? And we we got five years of innovation in the last twelve months. We all know why. Yeah, but it's fa- yeah. it's fascinating, and and we're all and we're bursting. all just discovering yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you listen to uh, Prof G. You know, I listen to Scott Galloway's podcast yeah. Oh, yeah. on a regular yeah, yeah, basis. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah, yeah. said, yeah, yeah. you know, he said, oh, my God, Paramount Plus, I don't want another one. And then he said, oh, but they have Star Trek. And, and yeah. he's like, oh, I have to I oh, have yeah. to subscribe. But here's his point. His point is, have you ever gotten so much content for such a little price? He says, on any one of these platforms, you've got a billion dollars plus in content that you're paying five or ten bucks a month for. So you get so much content. So from just that standpoint, we're see- we're seeing something that's never been done before. I think that's true, and I also think that if you actually do the math, I would I would guess that on a on a per family or a per person basis, you're they're actually getting more money. You know, when you think about the level of subscription to a HBO Max, you know, or a Paramount Plus, let's say it's six or seven bucks a month, you know, do you spend eighty bucks a year? on uh you know or close to 100 bucks a year on paramount movies probably not right um and the margin that they get from cable head mm-hmm. ends you know i mean look if you're comcast right now or if you're charter or if you're uh you know any of the cable you know the few remaining cable companies that actually provide these kinds of services you're freaking out about now. DTC um, direct to consumer you, oh, you don't yeah. want to be oh, a, yeah. a, you don't well, want to be a middle person top, here. right it's called OTP in the, oh, yeah, in the TV the business yeah. right 
Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's an interesting time because you don't need them anymore. And it's, and it's increasingly so. And by the way, that goes for every content creator. Direct, of course, direct, yeah, direct absolutely. to the subscriber. Distribution. Who's ever talked? To, nobody's and, talked about this before. This is all new yeah. information. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Anyways, yes, here you are. This old marketing where we cover the old news. Really, everything that everybody. I'm sorry, else but has it, talked the, about the okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening, by the way. But let's just be honest. We've been talking about the same stuff for the last 10 years. We've done same things. It's just now it's happening. And we used to say, I think this is going to happen. I'm I'm tempted to quote Matthew McConaughey here, but, you know, they just stay the same. But it's probably not not appropriate. Anyway. All right. This episode of This Old Marketing is sponsored by Accessibility. If we were to ask you, what percentage of websites are accessible, meaning fully usable for people with disabilities, what would your answer be? If your answer would be 3% or more, then you'd be wrong. Even though web accessibility is required by law under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and even though it makes very little business sense to exclude one in four adult Americans from accessing your website, Yes, according to the CDC, more than 60 million Americans live with some form of disability. And even though it is the right thing to do, 98% of SMB web pages failed to provide full accessibility. People with disabilities should get the same access to the internet as the rest of us. And we're pretty sure no one can argue with that. Accessibility, the company that conducted the research we just mentioned, offers an automated AI-based accessibility solution and ongoing monitoring for websites of all sizes. Hands-free, affordable, and everlasting, ensuring your website is always accessible for people with disabilities and protecting you from legal action. Go to accessibility.com or run an accessibility test on your website at ace.accessibility.com. Moving on. If you know, you know. Put it that way. Let's move on to the other news that we have. Um, our next news item that we're going to cover here is one for deeper con- And it is actually something that people are not talking a lot about um, in the sense of really diving deep here. We're gonna pair a couple of stories together, and at first they're gonna sound a little odd to pair together, but uh, I think you'll see how they connect together very well. The first is from our friend Seth Godin, who on his blog uh, this week wrote a blog post called NFTs are a dangerous trap. Uh, NFT, if you're not familiar, is the acronym for non-fungible token. Um, and it is where you can create unique things, unique things that have digital art or digital content or digital pieces that are that have a certification of, of uh, being unique uh, and original. And as Seth says, NFTs are a dangerous trap. And he says, like most traps, they're mysterious and then appealing. And then it's too late. An NFT is a digital treasure chest, a status symbol, and an apparent item of value, like a Pokemon card or an original Picasso drawing or the actual frame of a Disney animated film from 1955. NFTs are designed to be the one and only a shred of non-fungible reality in a world gone digital. You either own this thing or you don't. And then he goes on to really provide a pretty compelling argument about... um, Ownership, really, and what ownership really means in terms of owning a thing um, and versus having a certification of the thing. And we can certainly talk more about that. Just quickly, we'll pair it with um, a, an article from the New York Times, which the headline is, For Creators, Everything is for Sale. Digital stars are coming up with new ways to make money, yet fans still hold the power. This article, uh, which was also published this week, um, says a rash of new startups are making it easier for digital creators to monetize every aspect of their life, down to what they eat, who they hang out with, and who they respond to on TikTok. 
Tens of millions of people around the globe consider themselves creators, and the creator economy represents the fastest growing type of small business, according to a 2020 report by the venture firm SignalFire. But as the market gets more and more competitive and the platforms and their algorithms remain unreliable, creators are devising new hyper-specific revenue streams. For example, one comes in the form of New New, a startup in Los Angeles that describes its product as creating a human stock market. On the app, fans pay to vote in polls to control some creators' day-to-day decisions. And it goes on to describe this new startup, et cetera, et cetera. So bringing these two ideas mm-hmm. together, Mr. Pulitzi, yes, what, what say you to what Seth had to say about the uniqueness of content being driven by NFTs and what's going on in this creator economy? I have, as I like to say, comments on many different levels, uh, and I will, I will go through <laughs> some of them as we go. First of all, th- this... I'm so... I I'm, I'm so, I'm, I'm have baited breath all right, all right. for hearing so, every level okay. of your comment. <laughs> couple things i i've always adored seth godin i have i think i have all his books and i've read them all audiobooks yeah i love him he's great very motivational to me as a business person as an entrepreneur as a marketer that said uh he makes some very valid points uh if you if you talk about buyers and creators getting caught up in the mania he's absolutely right when he talks about in the article there is a concern over the electricity use of powering non-fungible tokens that's absolutely a thing, although the way he states is, I believe, is incorrect. Uh, I mean, we of course, we're in the middle of the whole mania thing with Jack Dorsey selling his first tweet. Uh, what did that go for? Two and a half million. You've got Taco Bell selling their non-fungible tokens. Gronkowski's sell, you know, put up 300. And then this is breaking news. You and I just talked about it. Beeple, who is maybe the most popular non-fungible token artist, it's not sold yet, but his uh, Christie's auction for his, what is it called? Five, forgot what the name of it is. First 5,000 days. Uh, his his art is going right now at $69 million. Let's just let that sink in, folks. That's real money, $69 million. Now, this is all crazy, yes, and Seth may absolutely be 100% right, but I, I believe he's wrong in this case. Now, Right now, uh, it reminds me, I mean, you, you and I both lived through the late 90s, early 2000s in the internet stock mania. That was, I mean, the, the globe, remember the globe.com launched to a oh, record initial yep. public offering, went bankrupt yep. not long after, pets.com, toys.com, whatever. People lost money, people lost jobs. It was absolutely mania. But also, we had Amazon, we had eBay, we had Priceline, some of the most valuable companies in the world right now. So, yes. Seth, are things out of control? Yeah. You know why? Because we're in price discovery phase. And this is what people don't get about the different phases of this thing happening. In price discovery phase, we don't even know what the market yet is yet. Nobody knows what the value of it, this is because creators are just doing this for the first time. And there is now a system available that you can you can show and construct value for all this stuff. It's never happened before. We should absolutely be careful, but we are in... I mean, if I uh, we're in Bitcoin 2012, 2013 area with the with the NFTs, uh, what we're seeing. I mean, you you and I, no, I'm big on the whole creator coins thing. Like I, you know, I'm having fun launching our Tilt Coin and seeing where that goes. I believe that that a creator can monetize, can create their own economy if they do this correctly. Lots of different ways to monetize today. We're in the early days. I'm glad Seth went off on it. Um, because he doesn't usually do that, but I may have to call Seth a boomer in this case, because <laughs> I, I believe I believe I I wish he would have said yes, it's a mania. But this is what happens when technology is unleashed, and we've unleashed it. We've never seen anything like that. So just when you see this crazy stuff happening, and it will continue to happen for the next weeks or months, and it will come back down, and there will be winners, and there will be a lot of losers. But then it will settle back down once we've gotten through this price discovery phase. And this is really, really good for creators, especially for the fact and we have, I mean, we could get in the whole sports team conversation. We're going to see in the next couple of years, every sporting ticket is going to be a non-fungible token. Because if the Dallas Cowboys release a ticket today and it's then sold to somebody, they only get money off of the first sale. 
They do not get it if it's sold on StubHub six more times. If you create a non-fungible token, the creator of that gets paid every time it sells. This will go mainstream in the next couple of years once they figure out the technology. So there you go. Well, there you have it. All right. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, did I go too? So long? here, okay, that's it for the show. So my folks. response in in multiple levels <clears throat> um, is this. So I, I would agree that the technology here is useful. Um, that you know, so your ticket example is a really good one, right? Where the uniqueness of something and getting repaid for the resale of that thing is a a unique thing but but in this in the in the case of a ticket there is a there is a time certain when that thing will disappear in value in other words the cowboy's ticket is valuable only i mean there's all sorts of jokes here folks no don't even get me started but but the ticket is valuable up until the time of the game and as the game progresses the crash of the value of that particular unique thing is demonstrable and measurable and by the time the game is over that ticket is now worthless well and and so on and so i have a rebuttal on that (laughs) okay go ahead though finish your thought so the interesting thing is when when i when i and i think what is seth i think buried the lead here i mean you know seth is is great at saying in 500 words what it takes most people 5,000 words to say but um in this case i don't think he went deep enough because I think where he's going with this, is, which is where my skepticism in this, all this comes in, um, not that I'm, I don't want to say I'm, I disagree with it, but I want to say I have a healthy dose of skepticism around this because when I see what he's talking about here, it gets to the whole concept of ownership. When I own, because he, for example, he mentions the Mona Lisa, right? And, and if you somehow owned the Mona Lisa, there would be a value to that because there is only one of a kind of its original and the rest are just posters and prints, et cetera, et cetera. And there is some perceived value currency in the value of having the original. Now, here's the thing. If I owned the Mona Lisa, it's in with my, within my agency to destroy it. I could burn it up. And there was the famous, I think it was Banksy who actually did this with the sale of one of his paintings. Um, where he literally burned it up on on the as it was as it was uh, as it was being um, bought just as a as a stunt. Yeah. So I can destroy the value of it. When you think about baseball cards or things that there are more than one of, when you buy them and they're and they are valuable because they are rare, what happens is is that they become more valuable the more that that crash happens. In other words, if that one Horace Wagner or Troy Aikman or whatever card gets destroyed, well, the other four or more or are more valuable because the fifth was destroyed. It goes away. It can't exist in anymore. Where I sort of struggle with the whole NFT thing is that it's like buying a share or buying shares of a particular piece of work, of artwork. So if I have so I get the certificate that says, yes, there are only five in the world and you get a certificate share of one of those. But at any, any given time, there is no, destru- there, it cannot be destroyed. It will be, it, the, the digital value of that can always be reproduced. And it's no less of a, of an, there is no less enjoyment of that digital thing as a copy than the original. But that's no different so, than the Mona Lisa. It is no, different. No, it isn't. It you, is there's different. There's been a, th- a million copies made of the Mona Lisa. No, right. But the only difference, but the difference in the image of the Mona Lisa is that one is a painting that has been brushed by uh, da Vinci, and the others are, quite frankly, just photographs that can be reproduced all day long. So it is unique. You cannot reproduce it. It is unique. With digital... It, it's binary. It is just code. You are creating an exact replica of the thing. And so I fail to see how that's unique. And, and so even if I have a unique certificate of it, it the, 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 commodity, the commodity of that does not, you know, it does not diminish 
the enjoyment of the thing in you know on my monitor versus but, you know if I have it if I have a picture of Beeple his artwork hanging on my wall the only person who knows that it's a unique thing is me and my little digital certificate that says I I he he certifies that he won't make another one of these yeah but there's no difference in that than we've been talking about selling somebody's music library. You, you, I can, I can copy Bob Dylan. Everyone has a thousand no, 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 Bob but Dylan yeah, but songs, the reason, but only yeah, one but the person Bob owns Dylan's the rights library to is, is because I own it. I get to, I get to then enjoy the benefit of anything else it produces. Right? I get the money from, you know, from from future sales. In other words, the buyer, the sixty nine million dollar buyer of the artwork. They don't get more money because they they can display it in in you know in other places or see it in other places. Anybody can do that. But they have the value. Yeah, I I see what you're saying, but I don't think that's anything different a physical for a digital today. Like for example, how many how many dollars are available in the world? A a physical dollar in your hand is no different than a digital dollar. The physical dollar just represents the digital dollar. True. And 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 it is that perception that keeps the dollar valuable. I, I totally get the idea of the, the 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 perceived value of currency being the sort of only source of, of value to it. And that's you know one of the main arguments for something like Bitcoin, right? Is that there is only a finite number of it. Thus, you know, and it's one of the dangers too, right? One of the dangers is is that nobody ever spends Bitcoin. Thus, the only thing it becomes is a collectible. Well, it's already out of that phase. It's in a store value phase. I, I think you're right. I we think, don't have I to. Think it's not the right, bit, I mean, this is yeah. not the Bitcoin show. But I, here's a really good. Let's go back to your Dallas Cowboys ticket, where you go down to yeah. value, and then you have the game, and then you're at zero value. That's I right. I used to collect three thousand hit ticket baseball tickets. I have. Paul Molitor's 3,000th hit. I have Eddie Murray's 3,000th hit of the ticket of the game. I have many of these things in collecting. This NFT thing is awesome because you not only have the value of, I want to go see Eddie Murray hit his 3,000th hit game. There's value there. That ticket remains valuable and gets more valuable because something happened at that game. Like, for example, let's go back to the football, right? Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. when he made the famous one-handed catch. That's, That's right. That if you had an NFT of that game, I bet you'd resell that for some for some real value. So today, I think that's true. I don't think that's true tomorrow. That's where that's where my skepticism comes in. I don't know. Limited amount of tickets. I, everyone's well, unique. As as long as the original holder thinks that there there should be right they control that value right they issue they you know just like the u.s government they but th- they but throw the out thing. some it's inflationary all- thing then issue a few more of those just so they can make a few more bucks now all of a sudden my investment goes down but you i but think you're you, you can, and if i had a print like there's if something- I have a print version of the original ticket from that game you can't print anymore there 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 is no ability to print more of those they are rare by definition but it's just like media. We talk about trust all the time. If you trust, if you have the belief that there's some value there and enough other people have belief that there's value there, that's all it takes. It doesn't take any I anymore. totally agree with you in, this, in the short term. And when I, what, what, one of the things that you said that actually does make sense. Oh, come <laughs> on. Is the, when you say that it's finding its it's it's finding its footing, price it's discovery. finding the market yeah, right it's, now. You're in price it's discovery. finding the value of the market. I believe that these that what we're going to find is that NFTs, once they become not sort of the hot new thing, um, you know, it's on. It's like the Saturday Night Live. The hottest new club right now is NFTs. You can get people paintings, Dallas Cowboy tickets, right? So once that passes. I think you're going to find that the and once people I think start to understand the difference between ownership and having a share or a certificate of uniqueness, I think you're going to find that that value drops pretty significantly. I okay, we're going to end it here because we could go on forever. But here, here's my yeah. here's my final take. This yeah. is this is so early. You're going to see. I agree. You're going I to totally see. Agree. I know. You're going to see NFTs in insurance. 
You're going to see it all across the. You've already seen it across financial markets. That's already happening. Well, let me be clear. Yeah, everything well, is going clear. to become I, an I NFT. I think the technology is valuable. Your Dallas Cowboys ticket thing is a great example of where we're going to see NFTs really take off. Yes, because there's I a use case for it. Yes. There is a absolutely there's a commerce use case for it because just exactly to your point, if it gets resold on StubHub or those kinds of things in the in the build up to the value, absolutely there's a because that's a, a, a way that we get paid based on reasons. Concert tickets. I mean, we're already starting to see artists, musical artists do their albums this way, yeah. right? Release them as non-fungible tokens because they can ensure that they're getting there's a totally a commerce value here. I just don't think there is in necessarily something that is um, selling like a, a single piece of artwork um, and and valuing it based on its uniqueness, right? I hear what you're saying, but the thing is, is we don't live in a physical world anymore. Everything, even the physical is digital today. And I think that's I, where you can't I grasp absolutely, it. You absolutely yeah. can't grasp that yet because you are I a boomer. I absolutely hold that I may be holding a boomer <laughs> argument right now. I absolutely I absolutely acquiesce that. But I, my skepticism level is high. Let's put it that way. Hey, it's tough for me too. I'm just saying I, I have to almost – I have to look at things differently. That everything – there's a digital representation of everything on my desk right now. And I think a lot of people have trouble in actually coming to grips with that. That's a, that's a true thing. Yeah, but and yeah. Then, and then you see value in it a whole different way. But I, I I think it'll both be fun because the first real rollout of this thing is going to happen as soon as the NFL uh, or Major League Baseball or whatever can somebody figure, will do it. Yeah, somebody it out. Will do it. But what I love about the whole thing, and I told I was just on a clubhouse last hour. What I love it for the creator is you can create something digitally and there is some value there. And then if somebody resells it, you actually get a piece of it ongoing. This is a new thing. You, that has never happened before. Like if Tops, you know, Top sells their baseball card. You know, you talked about the NBA is just doing crazy with their, uh, you know, they sell a LeBron James dunk for whatever it is, a million bucks. Well, every time that thing is sold and resold and resold, the NBA gets money off of that. It unbelievable what what this the possibilities for creators so yeah anyways i think it'll be interesting to watch <laughs> so if, if this is the kind of show you like folks, <laughs> where joe and i don't agree on it then then this is for you <laughs> something like yeah something well, well it'll be interesting because we're gonna have a lot of nft talk in the well or or creator monetization let's see and by the way the, we'll put it in the show notes. The creator article that is in the New York Times, there's so many different things coming online right now for how creators of any kind, content creators, musicians, artists, can monetize their networks. And I think what you're seeing is Kevin Kelly's 1,000 true fans actually coming to full monetary realization today. And you, I mean, the the futurist in me is all in. I, I'm I'm with you. I just I'm 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 struggling a little bit with the concept. I you know so and honestly, that could absolutely be my my weakness of mind. But you know where you so have we'll, an advantage. Here's where you and, and we're just gonna go like an hour and a half today. Doesn't matter because we're all about the important stuff. Here's where you have an advantage because you started out in the dot com era, but when we, when yeah. you and I started. You know, no internet and then internet. And you were right in working with, was it Marchex? Which was the company you were, you were working with? Oh, I, we worked with them all. Yeah, you were, you were working with, with, you were. MP3.com. I mean, we, you know, we were part of MP3.com, right. which was going to be the thing that changed the world. You know, but you were ground we were floor. That's what I'm pets. saying. You were ground you know, floor and you had, how many conversations did you have with people that didn't get it? And you were saying, and I was saying, oh my God, this internet thing. We have no idea. It's not just a place that you can go look at somebody's brochure online. Like, this is going to be huge. You have no idea. And people are like, no, I don't believe it. The internet is nothing. It'll, be, it'll go away. It's a fad. This is, always happens. And you always have thought leaders that come out and say, ah, oh, it's not blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, we got Warren Buffett out there. And you got all these investors that have been around forever that they can't get their arms around Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything. They just can't do it. They just think it's a folly. And I'm like, oh, my God, you you are, you are just don't get it. You just can't 
think differently about different stores of value. Yes, and I guess that's, I mean, so so to your point, I guess that's where I sort of, my head is right now. Having lived through the dot-com era, I can appreciate the technology, much of what's going on here in terms of a usefulness um, for classic kinds of, of, of exchange of value, let's put it that way, you know, as, as broadest level. But I also see the danger and the distraction and, and the hype um, of, you know, because, you know, there was a lot of heartache. In, yeah. You know, people don't re- remember all the heartache in the early 2000s of, of you know, in, in this, in, in that economy. And, and it, you know, for a lot of people, it sucked. Yeah. It's, yeah. So my recommendation would be if you don't just go run out and say, I'm going to do an NFT tomorrow, just build your audience. <laughs> well, that's what you've got right now. Well, yeah, you, you do. And by the way. Uh, I've, I just saw an interview with people. I guarantee you there's a clubhouse going on right Look now at, where the topic is how to launch your own NFT tomorrow. But again, go back. You had, I mean, it's just like the globe.com going IPO, getting, getting their millions and billions, and then they were done. People is yeah. taking advantage of that right now from the NFT side. And he actually will say it. He's like, I wasn't into this, but look, there's a lot of money over there, so I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a lot of money. I mean, to your point about Beeple, um, which I'm really struggling saying without giggling, but, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that is $69 million is real money. I mean, that's, that's a thing. By the way, sold it at a real Christie's auction. Yeah. So this well, is I mean, first yes. most expensive I mean, NFT ever sold at auction. So it is, it is happening, sweetheart. <laughs> that, that should be the title of the show it might be week. actually yeah. i should just you know it's not going to help our search engine optimization at all but our listeners will get it so it's happening, it's happening sweetheart. Sweetheart. No. <laughs> all right hey you know what we're just going to skip right ahead and we're going to go right to our yeah, ransom we, section we talked the whole time yeah, we nothing. we had a good deep. Uh, we told you we were going to go dive deep here. Yeah, we did. Um, but now let's go to our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off. I mean, if we haven't already gone off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like Megan and Harry or makes us feel like uh, Oprah getting the big scoop. Um, okay, so uh, shall I go yeah, first, you, or would you like you to go, go first, first Mister? I'm tired. I mean, I am just beat. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. Okay. Yeah. So um, I have, well, I'm, I'm going to do two. I'm going to do a quick rant or, and a quick rave. Um, I'll do my rave first um, only because uh, it was something we were going to cover on the show, but I think it's a, it's a really fun one just on, in our ongoing updates of companies buying other media companies. Um, the, what we'll link to in the show notes, of course, is from TechCrunch. Um, and the uh, very popular and very fast-growing Zapier, uh, which, of course, is the no-code platform um, that is just really growing in popularity, um, has bought MakerPad. By the way, big hat tip here to Martin Pilka, uh, at Martin Pilka on Twitter, and thanks for sending this over via the hashtag on Twitter. Um, and the article itself is that Zapier, the well-known no-code automation tool has purchased MakerPad, a no-code education service and community, basically a media, a little media company that provided online education, online classes for no-code platform development, et cetera, um, because they're both small and private. The terms of the deals were not disclosed, but I think it's a fascinating thing and just yet another data point as we start making these little data points on our whiteboard saying, yet here's another you know, we Joe and I talk all the time about the idea that you don't these don't have to be huge monumental deals. They can be very small coming together of a media content service and a product service. Um, and uh, it's um, it, it, this is this is another great example uh, of this. And so, yeah, so we'll link to it in the show notes. And that's just a quick a quick rave there because I thought it was really uh, important. Um, the my quick rant here this week <clears throat> is this week is the IAB's uh, what they call their ALM event. What does IAB um, stand with, for? Uh, Internet Advertising Bureau. Thank you. Some people right? don't know. It's just ah uh, yes, that is yes. the Internet Advertising Bureau, which is the 
group that is really behind all of the, uh, you know, it, it's it's behind such wonderful hits such as programmatic advertising, <laughs> surveillance marketing, and detailing your profile online. Um, the IAB um, has been around for a long time and, and, of course, providing standards as it pertains to banner ads and, and advertising and data acquisition and all of those kinds of things. And their yearly ALM meeting, which is their annual leadership meeting, um, is happening this week. And of course, as they do pretty much every year, they issue new standards and guidelines for internet advertising. Wonderful article that we'll link to in the uh, show notes here, which sort of gives a you know a good overview of, of some of this stuff is uh, from martechtoday.com. And basically, it just outlines all of the new standards. What I wanted to rant on briefly is, is that, you know, it's almost as if they're standing in the forest and basically not hearing anything that Google has been saying or anything else has been saying. It's, it's almost like they're going, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay, everybody. No, shh, it's okay. It's all right. And Google, by the way, is part of the IAB. So, you know, there's, there's some real pretend happening here in terms of new standards getting developed that aren't really, uh, you know, in a sense of reality of what's going on with Google's dropping of the third party, you know, uh, data and the cookie and, and, and a lot of that. And you've heard me rant about this many times uh, on this show, but I think it's yet another point to say, Hey, listen, we need to get our, you know, what together and start thinking about first party data because as the IAB continues to, uh, stand on its platform and, and really, you know, I think in many ways, not, I don't know, cover up is not the right way to say it, but but it, it, what they're doing is they're not they're not addressing the real challenge here. They're not addressing the evolution. It's not dissimilar from when you know, and, and again, this goes right to our conversation in this show, when the record company sort of didn't realize that digital was going to come and take its in, and eat, you know drink its milkshake. So, I think there's things to pay attention to here. There's a lot of technology that's mentioned here. And so if you deal with advertising or um, data uh, and programmatic, then this is an article to go read about and go read the new standards from the IAB and, and sort of just take it all in with a grain of salt, I guess is my point. So yeah, so there you go. A, a small rant and a small rave. Very good. By the way, um, you said the hash, you always say the hashtag. I think we have to say hashtag this old marketing because I think some people don't know the hashtag. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the hashtag the has- is this old market. Hashtag is up. Go. Anyways, here's my... This is, a, this is a rant and a rave, and I'm not sure which way to go with it, but I'm just going to do it because I can't do anything okay. else. Uh, the article that I'm going to take comes from our, our friends at A Media Operator. We love this site. And yeah. uh, Jacob writes, Do event companies regret selling media assets? just want to read a little bit of this. In the years prior to COVID, there was a major effort by event brands to shed digital assets. Events were in their heyday, and they didn't want to be bogged down with expensive media properties. Only months prior to realizing the severity of COVID, and then this it talks about Informa. Informa is the parent company of Content Marketing Institute. Sold more than 20 B2B titles to Endeavor Business Media. And by the way, it doesn't mention this. They also sold a lot of their electronics properties to our friends at Arrow Electronics. We talk about that all the time. Uh, The article goes on. And in years prior, it had made similar deals with QuestX and Progressive Digital Media Group. Some of these were print publications, but there were quite a few digital properties included as well. So, I mean, I'm not throwing Informa under the bus. This is a thing. A lot of big event companies got rid of their websites and got rid of their their subscription-generating websites their print magazines, they're basically all their media to say, look, we're just going to focus on where the profit's at. That is the event. And what was interesting is when Content Marketing Institute came into the fold uh, for Informa, one of the benefits, one of the reasons why CMI has excelled in, in COVID times is because we had a more diversified set. We had, you know, we had uh, the big digital business. Uh, we had the training. We had a lot of other things. Uh, and you could probably talk to this better than I can, Robert. But I think that's what helped CMI through this and wasn't just content marketing world, the event. Now, Jacob goes on to say this, and this is really important. Uh, oh, shoot, I had it. And I lost it. I lost it. 
It was a great. Hold on, I'm gonna get it. Hold on with me here. Well, it comes. as you do it, I'll I'll I'll, I'll cut. What you find it, and I'll comment on what you had said, which is, <clears throat> yeah, it is the, it is one of the primary reasons that CMI has been able to do as well as it has in the last eighteen months is because of the diversified media business, right? Because there was already an infrastructure to do virtual events. There was already an infrastructure to do webinars. There was an online university of classes. There was teaching, there was content uh, to sponsor. Yep. And the, all of that represented, you know, you know, in our, you know, the, the wonderful diagram that of course you drew out in, in Content Inc., the, the sort of copy of the classic Disney diagram, sort of all roads led to the event but all of the sources of those roads that led to the event were all revenue generating, you know, um, ideas. Exactly. And that's the whole point of Content Inc., killing marketing and everything we're doing and we talk about these days. So, yeah. Well, I think so, find it? exactly. This is, so this is it. I love this. And I sent the, the email to Jacob, who runs a media operator, because I love this line. And he says, to do this right, we can't think of the businesses as separate. It's not a media business and an events business. It's one business that monetizes its users across multiple levels. I cannot yes. I cannot stress this enough. You cannot so that's that was the that was why Content Marketing Institute the business model worked because there was value in even though we didn't make money off a of chief content officer val, uh, magazine, there was value in that because what the data showed us is is that our customers who read the magazine were more valuable. They actually spent more going to the event. They spent more on training. These are things that you cannot separate. So what you want to do is you want to focus on what that mission statement is and who you're targeting. What is what is what are you trying to do? What's how are you differentiating and building an audience over time? And then you can monetize that multiple ways. Is an event a great way to do it? Absolutely, but it's just one of ten ways. And I think you just can't separate these things off. And so that's there's a, so my rave is I love the article. My rant is companies that think that you can just slice off one of these things and it's not going to harm the entire business yep so, absolutely you and you then there's plenty of cautionary tales there too right where they sliced everything else off except for the event and are now paying the price oh my gosh exactly i mean so so the good news is coming out if there's anything from COVID, i think event i just did a a keynote yesterday robert for an event company and I was talking about this very thing and I and what event companies are historically bad at doing is communicating regularly of value that doesn't have to do with the event. Basically everything becomes about the yep. event. Come see our speakers, come do this, do this, do this, which is fine. Event is a really good product, but you have to communicate with your audience all year long consistently. And if you shove off your media properties to someone else, now what are you going to do? Yeah. Really really tough. Yeah. So yeah, I have a whole. It's funny that you mentioned this. I have, I've got a whole in my new workshop. I've got a whole module on this on on event marketing and how it's you know my tweetable headline. I guess you could call it is is that you know we we have historically treated events as the end of the campaign and they are the middle of the campaign. Right? They are the middle of the experience, not the end of the experience, and or just part of the ongoing experience, as exactly. you say. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Very good. Awesome. Well, all right. Where 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 are you other than where arguing am with me about I? NFTs where, this week? You know what? What's wonderful is that it is 65 degrees today in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, yeah, you've been hiking. We have been hiking. Uh, and w So that's that's what we've been doing. We started our there, – there's a, a park here called Cuyahoga Valley National Park. There are 33 different trails. These trails range from a mile and a half to 19 miles. And – Pam, my wife, and I have committed through the end of the year to, to doing a hike for each one of these 33. Paths. Including the 19-mile one? Well, we probably will break that up into two days, if I had to guess. I'd like I to see. try it all in one day, but that might be... miles in one day is tough. That might be. I mean, that would be literally up at dawn and you know, yeah. at the end of and the day. And back in the evening. And yeah. we'd have that's to bring a, lots of food and, and things that's right. and like that. But but anyway, so that's, that's what, a pack-in hike. That's what sure. we've been doing. It's the first time it's hit 60, and it was set almost at 70 degrees yesterday, which is huge for us in Cleveland in March. So very exciting. Uh, what do you got going on? Uh, well, you know, it's it's uh, 72 degrees and sunny here <laughs> it's in just like always. lovely yeah. Southern California. Um, so that's, the, that's, you know, that's Thursday for us. Um, and... <laughs> 
<laughs> but I but I am sadly well, no, not sadly. Um, I'm very happy to be uh, inside. You know, for for a good part of it, just you know, work, 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 work scotch, work, scotch, work. scotch, 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 scotch. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, we've been we've been heads down on a lot of client work. Um, coming out of that a little bit and getting into some, you know, hopefully some. Uh, free time to do some writing. I'm thinking about a new book and some things Ooh. that you know, I've got cooking, but but mostly right now client work. New book on NFTs? Yes, absolutely. NFTs and football tickets, I think. NFTs by Robert Rose, subtitle Get Off My Lawn. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. Couldn't help it. Get off my virtual yeah, lawn. Exactly. Um, all right, folks, that is it. We are signing off. And if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into any of the other 261 episodes, why don't you just head on over to our shiny new website at thisoldmarketing.site. That's thisoldmarketing.site. And we want to thank the good folks at Radix uh, for powering our thisoldmarketing.site. And, of course, you can use Radix to get your own dot site domain uh and also want to add in we used to say subscribe to our show but now we've been learning that the new way to say it is follow our show follow our show yeah you're not supposed to say subscribe because people no no more subscribe they have to follow the show follow the show follow the show on spotify follow the show on apple itunes follow the show on whatever they're follow 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 okay all right enough of that just remember folks until we see you next week it's your story to tell tell it well see you on the next episode of this old marketing